Frank, almost a year ago to this date, we discussed and talked about how we were both kind of getting ready to release brand new applications into the App Store and the build up and the process to go from file new to actually releasing it into the App Store. And both you and I have released several apps into the App Store. But I got to ask, are you ever going to update your apps, Frank? Oh, my God. We went straight there, huh? <laughs> that was the topic of yes. this, this episode. I'm not going to lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny phrase, huh? Uh, so I get this question a lot, unfortunately, which basically tells me I'm not doing my job well, or at least I'm not communicating well. Uh, but just to answer the question, yes, I'm going to update my app. I love updating apps. Do you love updating your app? Um, I enjoy updating my app. There's a lot of good reasons, whether I'm like fixing bugs or adding new features um, to it, essentially listening to my users. And I think it's not only just me updating my apps, but I'm also updating my libraries. And I get that that question asked a lot, even about my libraries. Like, when are you going to like release the official 4.0 of Geolocator? Yeah. And I go, when yeah. it's ready, <laughs> you know, uh, like, when is this new version going to come out? And I think it's, this is an interesting topic because in the world of, mobile applications, things are moving so crazy fast. I mean, just think about a year ago, which we, you know, we didn't have under 24 hour app updates right. like from Apple. We had to wait forever um, for that to maybe happen. If it got rejected, we had to like quantify ourselves of, yes, we are developers and we really need this to get in there, you know, and these new, you know, new things are happening. So I think for me, what's exciting is that a lot has changed in the last year since we even started, you know, talking about releasing apps into the app store. But uh, yeah, I mean, the yeah. question I always get is like, are you going to update? And the answer is yes, of course I'm going to update it. It's not abandoned. It's it's it's, it's all going to happen at some point. I just need to find time. Yeah. Uh, okay. I want to address a few of those. Uh, yeah. It's not abandoned. Um, that's the tough one. Expectations have been raised in the modern era where um, I'm not just buying an app. I'm buying two years of updates to the app or three years of updates to the app and improvements. That's kind of the expectation nowadays. It's a bit unfair, I think, <laughs> but that's the expectation. And it goes along with the open source projects, um, Someone, especially with open source projects, because that's the whole point. We're all supposed to be contributing and improving this thing. Um, but when you still have a gatekeeper like us who uh, manage packages, the public pa packages, we're the gatekeepers. So even though we accept lots of code changes, we still don't do our releases that often or only when we need them, right? Yeah, it's also you, you, a, a tricky balance because I think when I'm releasing app, well, let's say I'm a consumer and I think to talk to your expectations of how they have changed, which is, yeah, you are, you're essentially buying into, even if it's a free app that this app is going to be maintained, updated over the years, but also the app landscape has changed to the point where apps are updating so fast, so frequently. Right. I mean, I, or I, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, I always said on Android apps are updating so fast, but now that Apple has kind of <laughs> allowed the, the gatekeeper is slowly, you know, there's a crack in the gate, which, which allows apps to go through faster. I think that even on iOS apps are updating even faster. So now the expectations of our users, you know, we're just solo developers creating apps in our spare time, or even as a full-time job, but so, some apps are a little bit more side projecty than other ones that are mainline where it's like my users of my apps are expecting, I think maybe weekly updates <laughs> other, I'm not really sure, like how, yeah. uh, you know. We want nightly builds. So Frank, I mean, that's how I am looking at the apps. Do you, are you, do you think your users are expecting the same level of, of the release cadence, essentially? Yeah. 
Absolutely, because um, I get the Twitter mails every day. <laughs> it's it's nice, this new world where you can just contact developers. Um, I think we'll talk about feedback at some point. But yeah, so I, I actually do get to hear this phrase every time. And I was thinking how um, Apple's kind of removed my excuses. I basically have three excuses. Um, I don't have much time um, because I do have a few apps and I have to split my time between the apps. But then the other two, as you were talking about, um, is they've removed a lot of barriers for us. A big one was uh, the review one that we talked about a few times where if I submitted an update, it would knock down the reviews. And so if you had an app in a stable position, it was actually kind of bad for you to just be updating it with minor bug fixes and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, it's kind of like you're penalized for actually updating your app because now you have to start all over again from scratch on the review scale. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. And then, as you said, the review times. Like, it used to be like two weeks, you know, I would say, oh, it's it's in review, but can't say that anymore. Once it's in review, it's either approved or disproved pretty fast. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the modern world, everyone expects uh, weekly updates. I guess that's the expectation, but I think everyone would be happy with monthly because I don't know about you, but like when I open an old device, it has the old... I think of it as the Xbox syndrome, updating the OS. But instead of updating the OS, I see like every app has a little progress bar on it and every app is updating. And me personally, I don't like that. (laughs) I just, I feel like updates should be less frequent, but I guess I'm an old timer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm literally on my Android phone, which is funny. And I have auto updates uh, turned off. But what is funny is like this morning... I updated two applications, Project Fi and Robinhood, which is my my fun app where I pretend that I know anything about the stock market. And I updated them this morning and I just sat here literally as we're doing this and a Robinhood update came in again, like in the same in the same 12 hour span, multiple updates have been pushed off like that is like incomprehensible for me. You know what I mean? Incomprehensible. So I don't think it's a word, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it doesn't like make any sense. And to me, as a user of this app, I, I love this application. Yes. But like, I'm a little weary. Like what are the, what, what is causing this cadence? Yeah. And, and you don't, I don't personally want to turn off automatic updates because, you know, I want the free stuff. I want the bug fixes and I'm notorious for maintaining my devices. So it's real. Is it a catch 22? I don't know if I'm using that phrase right, but you know, there's a good side and a bad side to having these auto updates on. But I guess that's us making excuses. We should stick to the developer side of why uh, do we or don't we update. But yeah, just a slower pace is my expectation. And I'm okay with a slower pace because I don't want to update all the time. And I would rather my my uh, my features and my releases be impactful than not impactful, right? So here's a good example of of what I've done with Meetup Manager in the last year. So think about, I released this application several years ago. It's been rewritten into multiple versions. And in the last year, I've done quite a few things. So the first thing I did is I, 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 I was like, well, I want to kind of make some money off this if people really are using it all the time. So I integrated mm-hmm. ads, I integrated in-app purchases, which introduced some more maintainability, right? I'm actually now accepting money from people. But as part of this process, I did a few different things. I wanted to make my life simpler because if I was going to start adding new features, which, you know, adding new features is even adding ads or adding in-app purchases, I needed to put it into continuous integration, continuous delivery, right? Like that was, that has saved so much time and actually allowed me to introduce my cadence of updating the app faster, even for minor bug fixes. And I think that's what's important is that if there's a mission critical update, then I should be able to 
within a few hours, essentially have a package ready to roll based off a of master. And I think that's like a goal that's uh, achievable. And that's what I've achieved. I don't know if you've achieved it in any of your apps at all, but. Oh, I've, I've had to. Um, I can tell you horror stories from the early days of like, I would just devote an entire day to coming up with a release build of my app mm-hmm. because it always required some funny tweak. It recall, I would have to open a text file that reminded me of something I have to do before I do this and that and some other thing. It was never so simple as hit compile, upload to the store. I mean, I could do that, but chances are I would forget to do something, you know, some, something terrible would go, go wrong always. And so I've had to um, force myself to learn to use continuous integration and continuous delivery just to get a handle on my own build processes and to get a good stable build the whole time. I actually feel so much more comfortable about it now. I can't believe it took me so many years to finally get it going. I've tried and tried. It was never easy, but yeah, I do finally have it. And I have to thank you a bit for that. You, you showed me a bit rise. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was to the point where essentially for like Meetup Manager, even like I got a report that my Google login had stopped working and, and guess what? Within 24 hours, I had a new iOS and a new Android build, like ready to go with this fix. It was like a one line fix that I had to put in or whatever. And it's like done, right? Because I just committed code and it just happened. It just worked and it went off and, and it did its thing. Now I will say though, even though I had that build ready to go in an hour, I, ha- I, I have this re- app update release, um, checklist it's not a checklist yeah. it's like a religion in a way I, <laughs> and, and i'm sure you do too so I, I want i'm gonna walk through mine and i want to see how yours compares and contrasts for you for okay. you so All this right. is my i have a build like i'm ready to go and i'm not just gonna upload it to the app store that that's silly like that's not, that's not how i do it right <laughs> um so i have this this process that i've put in place that is very tedious but i think it's I ha- i'm doing right by my users so okay. the the first thing I do is I have multiple devices, right? So I have an iPad and an iPhone running different versions. One's on the latest version and one's on one version back. Same thing on my phone. One's on the latest version, one's on one phone back. These are my test process. And uh, at this point, I have my phones ready to go and I have them both signed into the beta processes on the respected app store. So this is either Google Play Services mm-hmm. Alpha or Test Flight. And what I do here is I'll uninstall the builds anything that I had, any release builds, any debug builds, anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I download the latest from the app store that's available. So on those devices. Now, once continuous integration is done, I upload a release to either test flight or Google Play alpha testing. And I first make sure that does an upgrade work. I've been bitten in the past where like an upgrade didn't work. I mean, it installed, but then my app didn't work at all. I don't know if you've ever run into that. Thankfully, no. Jeez, that sounds terrible. I did something with my app. I did something with my NS user defaults one time. This was way before I had my settings plugin. Now my settings plugin does all that stuff for me. Um, but I did something weird and wacky and something got out of line when I used to try to manage everything myself. This was maybe six years ago, like right first app into the app store. Uh, so I had to roll back and do some crazy stuff to get it working. So I go, I'm going to upgrade everything. Like, you know, I know that this works. I upgrade everything and I'll go through that like multiple times because Meetup Manager, I have three different or four different login mechanisms. Like, like, does it does it yeah. work from a I've logged in and it continues to work or I've never logged in and it continues to work? Does the in-app purchases work on all of them like through that cycle um, that's on there? And I'll do this like over and over again for like a good hour on these devices, <laughs> like with all the different settings. Like, did my settings get maintained? Did this get maintained? Right. And it's not because. 
like I don't believe like I don't you know even for minor updates I want to make sure that those things are working and then you know at this point once I've done this and it could just be a single bug fix but like I still go through this and I don't know why I just have to do it <laughs> I go through this process and then when it's ready I go okay now I'm going to push it to the app store like it's this huge like checklist of like check 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 and people could be saying well James why don't do you UI testing and you don't do why don't you do this and do this and like sometimes I do that stuff but it's not going to do it's not going to check that an update from version 1 to version 2 totally worked like and, yeah. I, and I need that peace of mind on multiple OSs oh boy uh yep I do everything you just discussed um there there are a few more little steps I have to throw in one is like if you're doing Mac and iOS apps you really want to make sure you have an archive of your app which means it has all the debug symbols in it so whenever I do a release build I uh I, I'm even more paranoid than you I first check the binary size can compare it against old binary sizes uh. to see if like everything looks about right you know I worry about these little things um because sometimes you see a number like 151 meg and you're like that seems really high. What was it last time? Yeah. Um, and then the, the manual testing. That's what you described. We all manual. we do a manual test pass at the very end. And uh, y- you can streamline that a little if you actually write down the things. But for me, it was also testing the operating system versions, especially mm-hmm. when it came to iCircuit for the Mac. That thing was a beast because it seemed like they would try to break it in every new version of OS X. And so I would just keep virtual machines of every version of OS 10. So every time I would do a release, I'd get a release binary all set. And then I would install that onto like oh, four, four different, mach- four different virtual machines oh my and then run through my own little test script in my head, you know, of making sure everything kind of worked. And yeah, that was that releasing was so stressful because I basically was relying on those manual tests at the very end to catch everything. I would have my unit tests, but as we all know, unit tests, they catch like the dumbest of programming errors. They don't catch user interaction kind of errors. Yeah. And and you, you have to, you have to test those because like every single use case of a UI test or a unit test aren't going to do always everything that your users are going to do or be on that specific type of hardware just in my test suite it's just a little bit a few different ones of of going going through those passes and i do this even with a single bug fix because sometimes i don't trust myself of like looking at my git history i'm like i'm pretty sure i only fixed this one bug but it also has been a month since i actually did this so i'm going to actually validate things yeah. um and go back and forth so i'm, I'm glad that i'm not i don't sound crazy right that, that i go through this process and i'm interested in what our listeners maybe do um too because i feel like it's so important to make sure that update process goes correct for the users um, that they don't have to worry about it. Uh, and I don't know. I just, it also gives me that sense of mind that like, oh, I've not only fixed a bug, but in this final validation testing, I'm kind of like doing this additional bug sweep to say like, oh, did something else break that like maybe I didn't even catch before? And then I can like do a new one. I've totally had that happen where uh, mm. I've fixed a bug and then I did this manual test sweep sweep that I was doing and then found another bug that had nothing to do like it was already in the right. app for a long time it's just like it's I just was embarrassing you're like well yeah and and you get into these modes if, if I'm like working on a release yeah I'm gonna pick off a few small bugs and just get those fixed for that release that inevitably happens you know I found that also happens when you're writing documentation so if, yeah, you ever, yeah. if you ever have to explain to someone how your app works, you're like, well, maybe it could be a little faster if I added this tiny little feature or fix this bug or you just, yeah, run into a bug or something like that. Yeah, I had to do when I was doing Meetup Manager, it was these multiple scenarios of uh, I added offline 
And this is kind of the next, like, I wasn't sure, like, I've always done smaller fixes and there was 2.0s so I rewrote the UI or did mm. XYZ, but I wanted to add a brand new feature. Like it was adding full offline support for my meetup manager application. <laughs> and this wow. was the number one requested feature. So like I knew it had to work and I knew it was correct. And it wasn't almost that like, you know, this feature doesn't seem too bad, right? Like, oh, I just download some data into this database mm-hmm. and, and then it works in these different scenarios. But like since that time, okay, since I since the the first 2.0 release to this 3.0 release where I added a brand new feature, like what's interesting is like not only did I change my code, but there's been about like 15 new versions of SQLite-net. There's been 15 oh, God, new yeah. versions of Xamarin Forms. You know, I've updated all of my things, which is to your point, right? I'm not only just testing my app, but I'm testing every single library that I've updated <laughs> since then, which is kind of interesting to think about, right? It's it's all of this yeah. stuff combined that you have to go through the sweeps of. Yeah, actually, I, I used to uh, really mess myself up with that <laughs> because I would have my own shared libraries that I would use between my apps, mm-hmm. and I wasn't very good at Git, and I wasn't very good at NuGet and all that stuff, and so I had the weirdest dependencies, and so I'd be in iCircuit adding this cool new feature, and then realize, oh, I just broke Kelka, and you know, <laughs> vice versa, and that would just happen constantly, man. Like I was, I was a real amateur. Um, if I may suggest something to you, all our folks, please do learn the Git inside and out. Learn how to use all its features because, oh my God, you can create such messes if you try to share code and you don't know what you're doing. And that's what I did for years. And honestly, that held back a few updates because I would inevitably break an app. Mm. And then I have to remember how to paste the app back together. Have you ever had to do that? I have. I, it was funny because I've actually, I've actually listened to Marco talk about this in Overcast, uh, wow. which, uh, which is interesting as he was talking about how he had thought about sharing this engine with other apps or bits of mm-hmm. code with other applications or like, should he put it in a library? And he goes, you know what I'm just going to do is I just copy and paste the code directly, <laughs> which I mean, yeah. for him, if it's only his apps and his things, he was like, I know that this code works with this app not to go through that. But it's like, I mean, that's not the point of what <laughs> I want to do as a developer. I want to share code. Right. But yeah. it was kind of interesting that even him, like him, who's, who's like, you know, created like some amazing applications run into the same things that we're running into. It's like, it's got to be common. Yeah, especially because you always have that demon screaming down your head, share your code, share your code. And because at least on iOS before iOS 11, we all had to write our own file managers. You know, like Mm. any app that you wanted to be able to open files, you had to start writing your own file manager. And it was just a really ridiculous situation. Thankfully, Apple fixed that with iOS 11, which now we can mention. So, James... Let's say you wrote an app. Let's say you wrote a very nice file picker with nice thumbnails and renaming capabilities and a little bit of drag and drop. And then iOS 11 comes along and Apple has their own version of it. Do you tear yours out? Do you adopt Apple's? (sighs) Um, Well, this becomes now really tricky because what versions of iOS do I want to support? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Do I want to have a branching path in my code where I support um, (laughs) iOS 10 and below and I go through this path or on newer features, I do this path. And this is a coming of age question, I would say. (laughs) Uh, And that is relatively complicated. I think that I think it's really important to try to adopt features day one. But now this is dependent, right? Because if if you're implementing in in trying to come up with a brand new application. Let's say you want to use ARKit and you're like, I want to be there day one and I want to get access Mm -hmm. to all this stuff day one. It may be really important for you to adopt these new libraries immediately because you're literally creating or distinguishing your application from the market. 
Now, something like a file picker where you spent all this work and you know it works 100%, is it going to, I guess the question that comes down in my mind is like, is the added um, addition of this feature going to generate additional users, promotions, or downloads for the application? Because let's say Apple is like, we're going to have a special area in the app store where anyone that's using the new file picker integrator thingamajoo, you know, thingy, you know, like, is that going to get featured? And if so, well, maybe I do want to actually think about switching my code, but who knows what Apple's going to do? Yeah. So everything, I just want to be clear for everyone. What James just described actually does happen. Now, it doesn't happen with the file picker. <laughs> they they never profile apps with like, What people a, don't love well, the file picker? It seems like a very important aspect of app developers love the file picker. <laughs> Uh, but for things like AR kit, um, it was it was an old trope. It's uh, see what they announce at WWDC and write your app around it, and you'll do pretty well at least the first week. There's a there's a big fall off after that first couple of weeks, but you know it's great. Uh, but okay, so on the on the case of the file picker, I think I actually am sticking with my own for quite a while. A, I want to support old versions without a big code branch. I know it's stable. I know it works. Everything you just said. And But where it really comes down for me is not on this, uh, will I get Apple promotion from it or anything? It's, does it add anything for the user for me to switch over? And I could argue, okay, as it potentially removes bugs, you know, if my picker has bugs and hopefully Apple's will be well tested, then it it totally makes sense to move over to theirs. But if mine is relatively stable and no one's finding any problems with it, I I think it's a pretty safe bet to just stick with it, let it happen. Maybe in a few years, I'll upgrade it when iOS 11 is old. And then I also agree with you, if I were to start a new app today, I would 100% require iOS 11 and just go from there. We have fast enough upgrade stats. It doesn't matter. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that I think I agree with you. I think it's like, is it good? Is it is it maybe going to help in my maintainability of the code? But or is it or if it's not me, if it's going to help me in my maintainability, is it worth all of the additional testing that I'm about to do to rip that out <laughs> and then go into it? And maybe I'm going to do that over time, you know, in yeah. there. But yeah, in the instance of that, I, I think you're correct to me. I, again, look at is it going to add additional value for my users that are going to make them you know, really happy and do mm-hmm. and, and tell their friends about like, oh, this is the best new file picker ever, right? You know, I, I <laughs> yeah. don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but if it is one of those features, it's probably actually worth diverging and having an if iOS 11 do this thing. And then you can you know put that into your release notes. Yeah, at least in dev builds, I'll definitely have a dev version that can do it. And I'll play with that from time to time and decide if it's worth the transition or not. You know, supporting two code paths is always kind of tricky, especially when it comes to getting feedback and bug reports from the user. Yeah, that's true. All right, cool. Let's take a quick second here to thank our amazing sponsor this week, a brand new sponsor of Merge Conflict. It is MFractor. MFractor is an amazing tool for Visual Studio for Mac. In fact, it is a mobile first refactoring tool for Visual Studio for Mac. And you're probably saying, James, well, doesn't Visual Studio for Mac have refactoring and all this other stuff? It has a bunch of good stuff, but it doesn't have what MFractor has. I use this personally. It's really great. Um, There's a free version and a premium version of it. And think of it like this. If you're building Xamarin applications or specifically even Xamarin Forms applications, you can build them faster, refactor your code faster, especially with less bugs because it'll do more error checking for you, which is awesome. 
M-Fractor makes Xamarin app development in Visual Studio way easier. Think of it like this. There's all these additional great things that it does. It can do Xamarin Forms code analysis, generation, navigation through all of your XAML and your code behind for you. But even if you're not doing Xamarin Forms, it does a bunch of other stuff for like normal Android development, such as pulling strings out and putting them into your resources for you, giving you full IntelliSense, and giving you awesome C-sharp code analyzers. Some of my favorite features that I use in M-Fractor that are built in even into the free version is just the simple navigation. This is one of my favorite features. You have a XAML page and you have a view model. Wouldn't it just be great if you could right click and say, I don't know, go to the view model, go to this property that's part of the binding. It will navigate through the source code of Visual Studio for Mac for you. In fact, if you're in the source code, you can say, go to view. It'll navigate you right into your XAML page. It's awesome. When it comes to refactoring, this thing blows me away. Uh, just for example, editing a color, right? I got to memorize all these colors or maybe I'm setting the label text. Well, check this out. I hover over the text color. It gives me a live preview of my color. It gives me all of the information about what text color means that's coming from the Xamarin Forms documentation. Or I could just right click and say edit color with a full color picker and it'll update immediately. Better yet, refactoring with this thing is crazy. This is my favorite. It's like I have a view model and I have a view and I'm about to set some text. So it says text equals, hello, Frank. Let me show you this cool feature. I just right click on the text property refactor and I extract the entire thing out to a binding and it'll replace that text property with the binding for me and navigate directly into my view model and create the backing field for me automatically. It That's is magic. It's, it's bananas. It is absolutely bananas. You got to check it out. Um, you can get a uh, free version of M-Fractor free. It's free and unlimited use, which includes Xamarin Forms productivity and Xamarin Android productivity. And if you want to upgrade to M-Fractor premium, it's only $199 per user per year. It includes awesome uh, C-sharp mobile analysis tools, um, C-sharp code analysis and refactoring, and a bunch more. You can go to mfractor.com to download today. That is M-F-R-T-O-R. R-A-C-T-O-R.com, M-Fractor. And thanks, M-Fractor, for sponsoring Merge Conflict. Yeah, an awesome job figuring out that feature. That's cool. Way yeah, there's go, some banana stuffs in this thing, which is actually <laughs> interesting because when we talk about adding features, a lot of times I'm kind of refactoring my code too to <laughs> ensure that I have less bugs and tools like this like save my life um, when I'm doing this, which actually kind of has me interested into when you're keeping up with the operating systems, Right, that sometimes is adding new features, but adding new um, or just actually working around some of the changes in the OSs yeah. or backwards compatibility. How do you decide what goes into an update and how do you go about <laughs> documenting that or actually telling your users about it? Like, do you have a good yeah. workflow there, Frank? Oh, a good workflow? No. <laughs> a workflow? But I do. Yeah, I do. I have a workflow. Um, so it, it's pretty easy, honestly, um, just talking from experience to know what your users want. Uh, you'll get the emails. They'll find a way to contact you and tell you, especially if there's a pain point in your app, they'll they'll tell you right away. Um, you know, I, I, I know for sure people really want Git support in Continuous because I hear about <laughs> it every day. You know, it, it's there. Uh, but I do, I, I have some real processes. Um, uh, I do keep uh, like a QA system. Like uh, if someone mails me, it becomes a ticket automatically. I can search those tickets. It tries to do a little bit of recombinations of people are uh, talking about the same thing. It'll say, you know, try to bubble that up. 
what do I, uh, what's the name of that feedback site we all use? Trello. Uh, oh, not Trello. <laughs> no, that's my tracking. Uh, it's tracking for um, the issues. Yeah, yeah. You know where uh, people can pro- uh, propose uh, uh, features for your app and then people vote it up or down. Um, Visual Studio does it. Boy, I don't know why I'm completely just blanking on the name right now. Oh, you're thinking of user voice. I am thinking of user voice. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So I I do user voices for most of my apps. And I really hate... <laughs> no, that sounds terrible. I am liking less and less the user voice app itself and how it all works and all that. But I think as a mechanism for people giving you feedback, it, it's worked really well for me in the past because people can just go in, um, find a feature that they're interested in and vote it up. Or you can do duplicates, but it's easy to handle duplicates in the system because they happen a lot less because people learn to vote pretty quickly. And so I'll use that. You know, this brings up a whole topic, though, of um, feedback from users. Um, People using your app will always be able to tell you how to make your app better. Um, they're using it, they've suffered through it, they know which parts need to be improved. What they can't tell you is how to take your app to the next level. Like, Mm -hmm. what should a V2 be? What should the next big feature set be? But given the current feature set, they'll always be able to tell you, um, you know, here's how to make that better, something like that. So it's invaluable for that. But for the bigger, long-term, where is this app going, that stays in my mind, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, I think that you can't really know what's going to go in. I mean, I think when what I'm when I'm listening to my users and I, I have an idea of yeah exactly what kind of features they want, I have to kind of think about how they're going to be implemented. When if I take a an example of let's say the offline optimizations, right? Like how do mm-hmm. I message that new you know feature to the users of my applications? Well, the first thing I can do and put in the release notes. No one's going to read that, right? Um, so I put it in the IDE. I do two things even for this is like when they go to this new tab, which the I, the the UI change. So that's a big indication something's new. So they go there and then I pop up a message and say, this is this new feature. Maybe also think about donating and give me some money. Um, <laughs> onboarding. Um, that's good. Yeah. A little onboarding. And then I do something even better, which is if they are in offline, which would be the instance of when they would actually want to use this feature, it actually has another prompt, like when they start up the application and navigates them there and things like that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of is a nice way of, of of telling them that, hey, this is going on. And when they do save it offline, it tells, hey, you know, go back to your offline at any time. And you'll be able to synchronize between this and there. And I think that was what's important because I think that it's hard. Even people are giving us user feedback, user voice stuff, bat feedback. Right. And that's good. So we could use that as a one mechanism. But out of your maybe 10,000 users that you have, how many of them are actually going to user voice? Not right. a lot, most likely. <laughs> to actually look for updates those 15 people that gave you feedback are like yes that's good to go so you can give them feedback you can let you just made 15 people really happy but you have to worry about that messaging and kind of giving them feedback but also um finding a good way of doing that inside of the application without like without upsetting everybody i think too which is (laughs) is interesting that's kind of the things that i do to handle like in app giving my users feedback and helping them learn uh, the new features um, I think it's hard though. I think it's one thing I've always struggled with is V2 comes out, right? You are re-releasing, redoing your app. Like how do you message that and not upset anybody? It's a very uh, tricky thing to handle. 
Oh my God, you just, yeah, gave me a pit in my stomach. But first, let me say, um, I failed at this multiple times. I would work on a very big feature. It would take me many weeks. I'd be very proud of it. And then I would hide it under like two levels of menus or something, right? Like No one ever found it. But I'm like, well, I wrote it in the release notes. You all should be excited. It's there now. And just, yeah, no one, re- no one reads the release notes because your apps are updating every 23 hours as we discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I have to do better at that onboarding experience of, hey, it's a new version, and I hate that dialogue. Hey, it's a new version. I immediately just click go away. But if it's in the app and it's just a light little arrow pointing at something, being like, hey, look, it's new. (laughs) I think I could actually tolerate that. Yeah, just don't, don't put a modal dialogue up in front of me that I have to click to get out of. Just a cute little animation. I think I gotta work on that. I'm all about that modal dialogue, son, uh, <laughs> which is actually the worst because it is it is like the worst that you don't want to do. If, if it's the only thing you're going to do, sometimes it's better than not. That's what I'm saying. You're right. I mean, it's, uh, annoying onboarding is better than zero onboarding. It probably depends on the person, but I'm going to go with annoying is better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it at least make you feel better that you put all the time into the feature, something like that. Yeah. Now, do you use anything to gain metrics back from your users like do you know how your users are actually using your applications or do you do any user research at all no zero um this started out as um i was just basically against it i just don't like the idea of tracking what people are doing um but i've since decided that as long as it's um opt in that is the default is i'm not tracking you but then maybe promote them with a cute little sparkly animation of please will you opt in so that i can track you and improve the app and i haven't done this still for a few reasons a the way my apps work tend to be these really detailed editors. This model came from the web where people would jump to a page, go to another page, go to another page. Then you just have to build a histogram of those pages and blam, there's your information. But in my apps, people are editing uh, like graphics and dragging things around and doing this. And so the event stream I would have to send back would be, honestly, it, I think it would be more noise than signal. Like, mm. um, So it, it would come down to, are people opening files yes <laughs> so it, it's a balancing effort for me deciding a whether i want to do it b whether i'd actually gain any useful knowledge from it yeah i've gone back and forth it's i agree it's hard um the, you know i think i've talked about a lot of the one thing that i did do in like old meetup manager or my old, my old um, not meetup manager but my media center application was kind of based on like how what pages or what sections of the app the user is using because there would be like 10 different sections and which one's the most important. But something like Meetup Manager, it, it, it's pretty much kind of like an iCircuit or a Calca type app where you're not opening files per se, but you're tapping on a user group. So like your only yeah. flow through the application is, you know, did you tap on this user group or that user group? And I'm not yeah. going to track that information because <laughs> right. it's personal information. So I've gone back and forth into should I have some analytics? Should I not have some analytics? Like, what do I care about? Now, I use uh, Raygun for a lot of my crash reporting and my mobile center for others. Like, I'm always experimenting with different ones just to see. You need like, crash reporting in the very least. You need to know if this app is stable for people. That one is important. <laughs> and I've, But I've taken out the rest of the other stuff, really, which is the user clicked on this button and they did this thing. Like, I, I don't really necessarily, it's not, I, I, there's no good way for me to distinguish, is that really helping me? Because I think, how I learn is what you said, which is 
what features have people literally bothered you for? And like, do you think that you would also find those useful? Because I build apps for myself half the time. So <laughs> I do that. You know, I think that's how I find is yeah, important to me. I, I've fallen back on just trying to make it dead simple for people to send you feedback. And mm. I, I think that's worked out pretty well for me. I don't know. Well, everyone's going to yell at me. I shouldn't have said that. But it works well for me personally <laughs> for people to just send me a little note saying, hey, this is working well, this part is terrible, you are a terrible person, you should never write apps again. I like getting those emails. And so I try to make it as easy as possible uh, to send it from the app. And like I said, and I'm really bad, I don't respond to these emails most of the time just because there's there's literally just too many people. I'm sorry. It's just too many emails, one of me. But I do try to read everyone. So I, I know what's happening. I know if people are running into bugs or if they desperately need a feature. I think that what I do is I I agree with you in the point where it should be relatively easy for people to leave feedback somewhere, whether that is a user voice, whether that's I use a Google Plus community group often because... Mm -hmm it's just really easy where it's like a separate forum where people I can have sections on there and I can just navigate them there. What I found out was that if people, if there's not a way for people to give you feedback, they're more likely to just uninstall your app. If they don't, oh, if something is yeah. wrong, yeah. I would rather have someone give me feedback and then uninstall the app than never give me feedback and just only uninstall the app at all. And I think that's an important takeaway when I go through updating my applications, because the next user, the next user, what can I do in this next app update to maybe keep someone who was that potential user? Yeah. And actually, during that discussion, you just reminded me, we have app reviews too, which um, I honestly don't read as often as someone sending me through my support link, mm. only because um, it has a little bit of the YouTube comment syndrome where, uh, you know, um, people, most people leave very nice constructive comments, but then there's the 20% that just can rain on your parade and kind of ruin your day and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I hate to be, hate to be that fragile, but that's, that's, that's how it is. People, when you, when you're writing an app and you put this much effort into it and then someone slogs all over it, it hurts. Simple as that. So but it's I important. stick to the support channels. <laughs> yeah, but it's important. I will say, make sure that you do. And like one thing that I've done too, is that even if someone does leave a bad review and they're asking for a feature or something like that, leave the mm -hmm. feedback because other people can see it right in that in that next update the first thing i do is when i get ready to release an app mm -hmm. i have my metrics i have all this stuff but hey did i implement a feature that someone in the last year has said that they wanted i know it's been a year i know this user doesn't care anymore but if someone else <laughs> happens to be scrolling through I'm like oh right. okay well this person didn't have this feature but now they have it and then you can say oh guess what like that's kind of cool right that 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 yeah. developer is actually listening Actually, thanks for reminding me of that because I was, uh, again, how we we're saying how Apple's made this easier. I guess Google's always made it easy, but we can finally write review, uh, <laughs> re replies back to reviews. And yeah, I need to start making use of that because that is an excellent way. I, and I think people actually do read them is if they get an email. I know I would because there, there's a lot of apps I've left little comments on. It'd be great to get this and it'd be wonderful to get an email back, even if it's a year later. Yeah, yeah. So now the release is out there. What is it time for the next release? Time for the next 2.0, 5.0? I mean, how do you plan the next, next release, I guess? Like, how does it feel to release that update? Is it is it a stressful moment for you? Or is it, a, is it, a, is it like, okay, I'm ready to go back well, to work? Okay, well, with the 
with that rating system, how your ratings would reset. Yeah, mm. it was hugely stressful. The entire week was basically a week of stress. And if you have multiple apps and you're doing multiple releases, it's it's stress on stress on stress because um, you can easily put an idiotic crashing bug that only affects people who are updating and you forgot to catch that in your manual test pass. It happens. It's happened to me. And you can, you can try to get a quick update out, but chances are you'll start getting one-star reviews and then you won't be able to pay your rent the next month and <laughs> life is over. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a stressful time. Um, I think Apple really did help us out by not having that reset happen. Yes, they've gone down the Google route, which is good. Now, they gave you actually more flexibility, which I like. And it's important to know that if you have an amazing rating, you can just carry those over. But if you don't have yes. an amazing rating, you can, <laughs> you can I mean, everyone has bad releases from time to time and it happens or yeah. it's a 1.0 and you've been struggling to get out a new release and it's just other things have occurred, right? Life happens. And I think that, you know, sometimes on the flip side, when I go to leave a review, I, I you know, I want to give constructive criticism. So I think you know, giving that output and that feedback somewhere else, not in an app store review and let the developer decide back and forth. Cause sometimes you're dealing with huge companies and sometimes you're not, you're sometimes you're dealing with independent developers. And that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't realize anymore, but you know, we have to deal with that. We have to adjust for it. And that's the the landscape that we live in uh, when we want to deliver apps. I would say the chances are you are actually working with a smaller developer if if you're using an app. There are the big apps by the big companies, and we all know them, but I think the the majority, for sure, by quantity, has to be small developers, and so that's going to happen. Now, um, one thing I did kind of want to address, though, is uh, how do you differentiate between, and I'm going to say a 2.0 here, but what I really mean is in App Store terms, not a free upgrade. Um, so in the olden days when we didn't have any in-app purchases or anything like that, if you wanted to get people to buy your app again, you had to do a 2.0 with a different, uh, SKU, SKU. Mm. And that was, and so I always kept two lists, uh, features I'm doing in V1, features I'm going to do, save for V2 and do that. Are you sticking with that system or are we moving to a more fluid gray world? I think I've listened to a lot. This is a this is a very interesting um, yeah. thing to think about. Long topic. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, when you think about what goes into an update or goes into a, a version bump or things like that, I do not believe that anyone anymore can simply release a new version under a new SKU, aka means someone has to go and download the next version of an app. Because mm-hmm. at that point, you've essentially removed all of, your listeners. It would be the same thing of doing like, hey, Frank and I are starting Merge Conflict 2.0 and go subscribe <laughs> to this other podcast and we're going to lose everyone that we love. Uh, yeah. You know, some people will come along, but, you know, some people are happy with this and you got to maintain two apps. So what you have to do is figure out the monetization of do I really want to have ad driven? Do I want to have subscription base where some features are in there? Do I want to have a pro version unlock and get money back from my users? And I think it's really hard thing to do. And I think it's on an app by app basis of, is this an app where I think people are going to use it for more than a year and they would be willing to give me X amount of money? Or do I really think this is short lived? Maybe they're going to use it for a month, two months, three months. You know, some people use it for years, right? But the majority of people, 
do I am I am I okay with them maybe giving me just two ninety nine now and getting out of there? And I think it's a hard thing to do because monetizing these applications is so hard because I don't think everyone is going to be comfortable giving every single app four ninety nine a year, right? It becomes that Netflix model. Right. Like, oh, I subscribe to Netflix, subscribe to Hip Hulu. I describe this, this, and that. So I think it's a app by app basis of how I'm doing it. The apps will always remain the same. So Meetup Manager will always be the same. The only thing that on Android is if I lose my key store, then I guess I'm going to have to release, release a new version because then I can't update it. So that's my other nightmare, losing that stupid key store. Yeah, put that in a cloud storage of some sort, multiple cloud storages of some sort. Um, and I think that's the only way I can justify it. I, I don't think that it. I don't think that we're in a in a world anymore that we can do in the app store, which is sad because if you take a look at other applications like maybe like Sketch or when you know, desktop applications, they're almost at that model where. You know, even Camtasia, I use Camtasia to do recording. So like, oh, version nine came out, like time to give me some more money, you know, and, and upgrade. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't yeah. think we have the ability. And that'd be cool if the App Store gave us that flexibility to say, hey, listen, you can offer two, but 2.0, but then for 3.0, you get an upgrade in price. And I don't yeah. think we're there yet. I don't think we can do it. So where I want to be is in a position where I can maintain my engines and add to them and beg people for money every year or two and say, hey, look, here's a bucket of features, do this in app purchase, you get the bucket of features. And that would be the upgrade model. I think I think that is the one most compatible with the future, people's expectations, everything. I think that model is going to work well. But I'm unfortunately in a position where I have a few apps where I want to like change out the engine. I want to make actual big changes to this, where it's not just like if they did the purchase the pro version, it would completely swap out the app. You know, I'd have a whole different entry point, ideally, of where to start things and kick things off. Yeah. So it's a little trickier there. I don't I don't know how to uh, handle it perfectly for that step. But I think going forward, and this is how I'm going to have to architect my apps and plan my apps, is that there will never be a V2. There will only be feature packs, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, feature packs are kind of a, yeah, it's a cool, and yeah, that's yeah, definitely a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, do and, you and want offline support? Well, you got to pay for it. <laughs> Right. And I think people hate that too. Like no one likes being nickel and dimed, but at the same time, it's a bit better than a subscription model where you're being, you know, you have a leech, leeches attached to you or eels as Roderick calls them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I personally, I would rather be nickel and dimed than have to pay a subscription, but both, uh, both models seem to be working. Yeah. I like that. That's actually, I didn't, I never thought of it that way. And maybe I would have made more money if I would have made it that way in general. (laughs) I did say, please donate and remove ads. And then it'd be funny because yeah. people could people could pay to remove ads or people could pay for offline or they could, you know, that man, I'm, I messed up. See, it's too late. I can't go back now. So that's too funny. <laughs> next time. Get them next time, Tiger. <laughs> there you go. Next new feature. Well, that's awesome. Frank, anything else you want to point out here in this? This uh, Are you, are you going to update your apps now? Is that yeah, after this episode? Know, I, I think you convinced me. Yes, I will update my apps. Oh, God. Gosh darn it, James. I'm finally going to do it. Yeah. What the heck? You? done tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow yes i'll push it to test flight tomorrow well awesome frank this has been super fun i am now reevaluating all of my apps and in-app purchases and i guess i'll have to report that next week on merge conflict <laughs> yeah. but you are dear dear listeners you can give us your feedback of how are you monetizing your applications or how do you decide what goes into an app update by leaving leaving us feedback you can do this by leaving an awesome review on the actual app store if you're using um, apple podcast application we would love a five-star review that super helps us out 
if you're not using that or you just want to give us a long, long email and and, and just pour your heart and, and brain out to us, so that'd be awesome too. Just go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button, boom, that goes right into our inboxes. We would love to hear from you. And often we read back those right on the podcast, which is really awesome. And of course, you can find out any, you know, all the different means of subscribing to the podcast by going to mergeconflict.fm or just searching Merge Conflict on your favorite podcast application. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening.